Well, I'm Nick McRae, one of your associate pastors, and it is just a joy for me to bring the, the word to you this morning. You know, these past few weeks, we've been exploring the, the ways in which the spiritual practice of fasting can help us to empty ourselves and be filled up with God. Now, Pastor Daniel has shared about the power of fasting for freedom, uh, fasting for direction, fasting for commitment. And today we're going to talk about fasting for strength and what that means. And to do that, we're going to turn to the book of Esther. You know, I absolutely love the book of Esther. Some of you will know that before I became a pastor, I, uh, I earned a PhD in English and I taught college English uh, classes. You know, so I've read and studied a lot of incredible stories over the years. And I got to tell you, the book of Esther uh, not only stacks up to, but I, I think in some ways surpasses uh, some of the great works of world literature, just in terms of its, of its narrative. You know, it, I would say its narrative is, is like Shakespeare level good. I mean, and that's saying something. <laughs> it has twists and turns and, and ironies and, and intrigue and pretty much everything that you would want an epic drama to have. And yet it's also a very uh, small package. You, know, you can read the entire book in about 30 minutes. And I, I challenge you to do that. In fact, just take some time today and, uh, and just read the book of Esther from beginning to end. I believe that you'll be, be blessed in doing that. But of course, Esther isn't just an amazing work of literature, which I believe that it is, but it's also the word of God, you know, and in it, in the book of Esther, we encounter some beautiful truths about who God is and, and who we are and how God's inviting us to be a part of this great plan to bring salvation to all the world and make everything new. So let's talk about Esther. Okay, so the, the, the story takes place at the end of this period that we call the Babylonian captivity, right? So decades earlier, the Jewish people had been conquered by the king of Babylon, and they'd been sort of forcibly removed from the land of Israel and brought to the, 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 the lands of, of Babylon to be servants and, and hostages. And, um, and eventually, even Babylon itself was conquered. The king of Persia came and, and attacked Babylon and, and conquered it. And the king of Persia uh, made some changes. He set the Jewish people free and let them return to their homeland, to the land of Israel. And yet uh, not all of the Jewish people returned to Israel. Some of them stayed in those cities in the land of Babylon and in the land of Persia. And two of those who stayed were an orphan girl named Esther and her cousin Mordecai. So that's the, the background kind of, of of where we get, how we get to the, the narrative of Esther. Now, the story itself begins when the king of Persia is, well, he's, he's displeased with his, his current wife, with, his, with the queen, and he banishes her from the palace. He sets about to find himself a new queen. Right? He commands that all the most beautiful women in all of his kingdom, which, which stretches from Egypt all the way over to, to, um, to uh, India, Right? All of the most beautiful women in the kingdom must come to the capital city and, and present themselves to the king. And, and from them, he will choose who will be the new queen. And when it's all said and done, of all people, he chooses Esther. Esther will be the new queen of Persia. And so her cousin Mordecai kind of rises up with her and becomes one of the king's officials. Now, now the king had this right-hand man named Haman. And Haman hated Mordecai. I mean, he just came to hate him, to despise him. And Haman uh, 
being the kind of guy that he was, devised what can only be described as a, as a wicked plot to destroy not only Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people, to have all the Jewish people throughout all the land uh, to be killed. When Mordecai finds out about this plot, he, uh, he's understandably outraged and he sends a message to his, 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 his niece, the queen, begging her to go to the king and to beg uh, for the lives of their people, to save their people from destruction. And of course, Queen Esther's afraid. You see, the Persians have this strange law that says that if anybody, even the queen, comes into the king's chambers without being summoned first, well, that person must die. I mean, the person must die unless the king intervenes specifically to save them. And so we arrive at this part of the story to, uh, to our, our, our text for today, which, is, which begins in the 13th chapter, sorry, the fourth chapter in the 13th verse of, of Esther. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who were found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will also fast in the same way. And then I will go into the king, which is not in accordance with the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther commanded him. You see, through the spiritual practice of fasting, God gives Esther the strength to, to do what she couldn't do by her own power. You know, she goes to the king, he receives her with joy, and she does indeed save her people. Right? The king's evil advisor, Haman, meets his demise. The plot to wipe out the Jews comes to nothing. And God's chosen people continue to flourish. Now, as Christians, we know that the salvation of the Jewish people would ultimately mean the salvation of all nations. Because from the Jews would one day come a man named Jesus, and he would be the son of God and he would lay down his life to give eternal life to all who trust in him. Now there are three deep and beautiful truths about God's love in that little short passage of scripture we just read. And, and I think they're absolutely vital to understanding the practice of fasting for strength. So, so first, fasting for strength has everything to do with who God is and what God is doing. God's plan, God's power, God's will to bring salvation to all the world. So let's, let's look again at part of that scripture, starting in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. Liberation and rescue will arise from another place. Right? See, God intended for the Jewish people to be a blessing to all the world. So even if Esther were to say, no way, man, right, and refuse to do anything or to even try, God would save the people in another way. Right? And this is as true 
now for us as it was for them. Because friends, we can trust in God. Right? God is the source of all power and all strength. God loves us and God's will is to bring salvation to the world. You know, Mordecai understands that God's will to save will ultimately always be accomplished. Right now, now, of course, people are free to make their own choices, just like Esther was. You know, we can choose to turn away from God. We can sin and hurt other people. We can resist God's good design for humanity. And, and yeah, that causes painful ripples through our lives and through the world. But even so, even so, in the end, God's intention to redeem the world will be made a reality. You know, I think of the words that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah in the 55th chapter when he says this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout, so will my word be, which goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. You know, try as we might, there's, there's no way that we can any more stop God's goodness and, and God's justice from, from raining down into the world than we can stop the rain in the sky from falling to the ground. Right? I mean, we can ignore it. We can refuse to be grateful for it. We can even run away from that rain, but there's nothing we can do to stop it. When we fast for strength, I mean, we're, we're, we're putting our trust in that unstoppable source of all strength. So that was the first, the first truth. The second one is this, you know, fasting for strength has everything to do with who we are and what God's inviting us to do. So we see this in those famous words from Esther, which is in uh, the 14th verse there in the fourth chapter. Uh, the words of Mordecai to Esther, who says, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, right? Who knows whether you've become queen precisely to accomplish this thing, right? The, you know, Mordecai could, could see God had made the way for Esther, for her to be in that right place in the right time. You know, I mean, what are the odds that of all the women in all the vast Persian empire, that it would be Esther, uh, an orphan from the tiny, tiny Jewish nation, right? What are the chances it would be her who would become the queen, whom the king would choose out of all the, the world to be his queen? You know, there, there might've been just nobody in the king's palace who would even care whether or not the Jewish people survived. And yet against all odds, Right. Esther was there. She was there to step in. God was inviting Esther to be a part of that salvation that God was working out for the people. You know, and this is as true for us now as it was for Esther. Right. God's at work in the world, my friends. God's working out something big and, and beautiful. The biggest and most beautiful thing of all, though, is that God invites us to participate in that, to, to play a part, to have a hand in that work. Now, of course, it's not our part in work that, that, that saves us. It's not our doing something that saves us. I mean, God's already done that through Jesus and through faith in his son. But because God has saved us, right, God has made work for us to do. I think of the words of the apostle Paul 
in uh, chapter two of his letter to the Ephesians, where he says this, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast for, and this is, and this is it right here for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, right? There's these good works that because of our faith, God has prepared for us to do. God intends for us, plans for this to be a part of who we are as God's people, as, as Christians. So God has prepared this, this work for us. And that work may be something epic and dramatic like, like Esther had to do. But, you know, for most of us, uh, it'll be something beautifully ordinary. And I mean that in the best way. You know, something like helping strangers in need or something like raising your kids to know and, and to love God or something like encouraging a friend who's feeling lost and alone or, or, or something like just being the most loving and generous person that you can be in Jesus Christ's name. Now, whatever it may be, God invites each one of us to take part in this thing that God's doing. And what God's doing is making all things new. And you know, fasting for strength helps us to continue to say yes to that amazing invitation from God. So that was the second truth. And the third one is this. Fasting for strength means admitting our own weakness so we can be filled with God's strength. We can see this in the way that Esther responds to what God's inviting her to do. Back over there in Esther chapter four, we read this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who were found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will also fast in the same way. And then I will go to the king, which is not in accordance with the law. And if I perish, I perish. You know, Esther recognizes that she's not strong enough to do this thing on her own. I mean, the thing that God's inviting her to do, that's too big for anyone to accomplish under their own power, right? She's understandably afraid for herself. And more than that, she's afraid for the, the continuance of her people, the very existence of her people. Right? I mean, she trusts that God won't abandon them you know, no matter what, but she's also acutely aware that she's the one that God's put in place just for this purpose. And so she calls for a fast. She and her people empty themselves of, of food and drink, empty themselves of their own strength, their own source of strength. And they open themselves up to God, trusting that God's going to fill them with that strength that they need. And God's faithful to do just that. And once again, friends, this is just as true for us now as it was for Esther and for her people. Right? There are things that, that God calls us to do that are beyond our own strength. Now, I'll, I'll be vulnerable and tell you that one of those things for me is, is what I'm doing right now. It's preaching. You know, with, with all the, the degrees and the years of, of schooling, learning how to analyze texts and write these convincing arguments, you know, with all my training and my experience as a teacher and, and, and public speaker, I am so tempted every time I write a sermon to think that it should be easy for me. I mean, why wouldn't it be, right? All it takes is, is, is reading and thinking and writing and then talking about what I read and wrote and thought about, right? Actually, that's not 
right, <laughs> by the way. Um, but, you know, aren't I supposed to be an expert at this stuff? Shouldn't I have the strength in myself to do this kind of a thing? Every time I'm tempted to believe that, and every time the thing I thought was going to be easy is a, a struggle, a true struggle. You see, every time I run up against the limit of my own strength, and every time I learn again that the only way I will ever be able to bring God's word to you, to preach a sermon to you is if I admit my own weakness and empty myself of whatever strength I may think that I have and then open myself to God and, and cry out to God in prayer and let God fill me with that kind of strength that I could never muster on my own. Friends, before we can get strong, we have to get weak. We have to get weak. You know, Paul tells us in his second letter to the Corinthians uh, about a time when he called out to Jesus and his frustration over his own weakness. And the spirit of Jesus responded to him. And we read this. And he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And therefore, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in distresses and persecutions and difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you hear that, friends? Power is perfected in weakness. because That's when Christ can dwell in us. And therefore, when we are weak, we are strong because Christ is living within us. You know, Jesus taught that, uh, that uh, Jesus taught Paul through that, that becoming strong with the power of Christ means admitting and embracing our own weakness, right? So, so this life-changing lesson is what, Paul, what made Paul able to say those most famous words from his letter to the Philippians, which, which go like this. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things, he says, not through his own strength, but through him and only through him who strengthens him. Friends, we, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, through Christ who fills our emptiness with his strength. And that's what fasting for strength is all about. I mean, it's about emptying ourselves of those, the earthly things that we rely on to, to, to give us strength or to, uh, to, to, to build us up. Instead, being filled with God's power through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus Christ is truly the food for our souls. He's the food for our souls. Jesus says as much to his disciples in the sixth chapter of John's gospel when he says this, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Thanks be to God for that. Friends, let's, let's dive into this incredible promise from God. We, we don't have to do this thing, this, this life alone. And in fact, we, we can't do it alone. We don't have to trust in our own strength to get us through. In fact, we can't trust in our own strength to get us through. You know, if we're going to live the life 
the kind of life that God is inviting us to live, we've got to stop relying only in our own power. We've got to empty ourselves and, and let Christ fill us up. So let's embrace the practice of fasting. Let's embrace it so that we can learn to feast on Jesus. Right? Jesus, who is the bread of life, the bread that gives eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Lord, help us to empty ourselves so that we can be filled up with you. Help us to accept in this moment your offer of love, to accept by faith that bread from heaven that leads to eternal life. Jesus, we pray that you will clothe us now in your spirit. Shape us into who you desire us to be so that we can accomplish the work that you've prepared for us to do. And all for the honor of your beautiful name. Amen. Well, friends, I wanna thank you for your, your continued generosity. You know, it's, it's, it's you that, uh, that makes um, so many of our ministries possible, so many of the things that we're able to do in Christ's name. And so we are so grateful to you for that. Uh, if you would like to give, you can give at any time by texting TMUMC to 45777, or you can go to tmumc.org slash give.